0: Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I'm Seth Haynes.
1: And I'm Tish Oxenrider.
0: Tish, yeah. What what are you drinking today?
1: I am drinking this tea that was sent to me by a company that wants me to try it out. So maybe they want to sponsor the show. I don't know. It's called Plum Deluxe. And I thought, <laughs> sure, I'll make it. And I think it's good. It's full moon chai tea, and so far I like it. It's
0: Who's the uh, tea company?
1: It's called Plum Deluxe, and they oh, are Plum
0: Deluxe is the tea company, not the name of the tea.
1: Not the name of the tea. Yeah, Plum Deluxe. Uh, no plums involved, I don't think. Cardamom, okay. ginger, clove, cinnamon, vanilla. So I like it. So is
0: it uh, is it a, is it a the classic chai taste? The ch- yeah. chai flavor de jour is, it is the chai flavor due <laughs> history.
1: <laughs> it is the classic chai flavor, but. Kind of better, like it's real. I don't know if you can see it, like stuff in it.
0: Yeah, I can. I can see it. It's nice. It's very nice. It's (laughs) got like like the little the little uh, peppercorn Mm -hmm. looking things in it.
1: Yeah, it's there. You go. Sound effects. All right. That's great. It is. Thanks, Um, Seth. What are you drinking?
0: Well, I am drinking an oat milk latte. I I, I wanted to go quasi soccer mom this week. You know, last week I went full (laughs) soccer mom. Had the sugar free vanilla. Did the whole shebang, but today I was just like, you know what, I want some coffee, but I don't want a whole cup of coffee, but I need the caffeine for the coffee, so we're going to throw a little Oatly in there um, <laughs> from Well Wellmet. They do a good job. And every time, I'm just going to say this out loud, because, you know, wh- why would we not talk about this? Do you remember the Oatly Super Bowl commercial? No. The guy was why. in a field, I think it was the CEO, was in a field with a keyboard and he was singing some absurd song about Oatley <laughs> and um i think we should probably link to it in the uh in the show right. notes so we'll people that. can watch the watch the uh the video the the advertisement or the advertisement as you anglophiles say um it was truly atrocious i it's like if you're listening Oatley that was the worst commercial i've ever seen um and yet I still like your beverage uh, in mm-hmm. my lattes, in my you know cup of coffee, so please make a better commercial so more people will buy your your delicious beverage.
1: Well, maybe it worked because you're talking about this commercial, I'm guessing at least a year later and still drinking their product.
0: I don't believe that I you know a lot of people say that I have uh, I, I do some marketing on the side I'm in good yeah. friends with people in marketing as you know. And, you know, I, I talk to them all the time about, um, you know, just because you're talking about something doesn't yeah. mean you're buying that thing. Uh, That's true. And this would be a primary example. I, if, if I didn't like their beverage so much, if the product wasn't so good, I would boycott them for having stupid commercials.
1: I do feel I avoid uh, companies just because their commercials are either bad or... Or um, their jingle is horrible, or I even I don't like the text that they use. I'm kind of a snob in that way. Maybe it's just the onslaught of choices that we have, which is kind of what we're talking about today. But that's yeah, probably um,
0: true.
1: Yeah, we we have so many options that if something uses Comic Sans like a brand, I will just choose something you're done. else. Yeah, you're done.
0: Like, no, you can't take anything <laughs> that's Comic Sans seriously.
1: Right. If you Period if you make it. these choices about your um, design, then how can I trust you with my milk or whatever it yeah. is? Or yep. whatever
0: the thing is, and and that leads to another question: Are we that judgmental?
1: Um, we are that coddled in the twenty first century, like where this is a um, real problem. You know, yeah. like we it's, don't have the problem is. of of world wars and and great depressions, so we choose to get upset about Comic Sans.
0: Well, I am not upset about com- Comic Sans as much as I am just peeved by a stupid <laughs> Oatly commercial.
1: Well, it's that equivalent. It's whatever. Yeah. In- insert your Comic Sans, yeah.
0: But mm-hmm. I will say, uh, Oatly makes a phenomenal product, which I am very happy to put in my <laughs> coffee beverages. So for that reason and that reason alone, yeah, I endorse Oatly outside of and in spite of mm-hmm. the terrible commercials that they aired during the Super Bowl.
1: But if they want to put an ad on our show, we, we will take it, I guess.
0: Listen, if they want me to record an ad for Oatly that is better than the ad that they ran for the Super Bowl, I am very happy to do it. I would be so excited. I would give time, effort, and (laughs) what little talent I have to write uh, an advertisement for them that is better Uh and sells their oat beverage.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, good ads on podcasts are better, I think, sometimes than Super Bowl ads. So, yeah. you're on to something. Yeah.
0: And, and this this endorsement of Oatly was completely um, unmonetized in any way, shape, or form.
1: That's right. You're welcome, Oatly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tish, tell me, as we yeah. veer away from beverages and conversations, existential conversations, I might add, about uh, advertisements, Yeah. what is it today that you want to talk about?
1: Well... I guess somehow we can connect the dots there. But um, I was spending this morning culling my book collection. I do this maybe mm-hmm. once a year, maybe even a little bit more. Um, I don't know about you, but, you know, I live – we live in a small house and I yep. like books. And yep. the, the laws of physics dictates that even though one could read an infinite amount of books and not fill all the knowledge in your brain in one lifetime, one cannot fill – an infinite amount of shelf space in a 1400 square foot old house Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so uh, that dictates my need to you know go through my books and decide what I no longer need to have. And it just got me thinking, how do we decide what books we should keep and what books we should get rid of? And then that got me kind of zooming out even more, like what dictates what we choose to read versus what we pass over? And then really, in a broad term, what do we consume at large, TV, movies, books, music, in a culture where we have infinite choices. Like there has never been and hopefully never will be because I can't handle anymore. So many choices that we have, when it comes to what we consume. And I am sure I am not alone, because I know I'm not alone in um, the phenomenon where you sit down to watch a movie with your family, and you spend the first 30 minutes trying to decide what to watch. And yep. you either can't agree on anything, which is our case, or you just can't decide because there's too many options. Also yeah. our case. Do you yeah. guys have that same thing?
0: Yeah. My family actually calls it family trailer night instead of family <laughs> movie night because we do that a lot. Um, yeah. But in fact, it's a, it's a really timely conversation because yesterday night, yesterday evening, we were um, going to to lie down. I've been working a lot. I've been reading a lot. Had a long day. Had to go out with a friend. We sort of had a celebration last night. And I got home and Amber was like, I'm really tired. Let's go watch a show, which we haven't really watched a show in a while. So we went to the bedroom and sat down and we're trying to go through and figure out what to watch. And I pulled up like, hey, what's new in streaming in 2022 that I should be watching? And there was um, a website that said, here are the 58 things you should be streaming in 2022. And I was like, 58 <laughs> things that I should be streaming? Are you kidding me? Right. I don't have time to stream one thing, much less 58 of those things. And so I went through and it was so difficult because I really, I mean, I could probably care about any number of those things, but I don't, none of them just like jumped off the page, which means I'm just clicking something to consume and if you're going to just click something to consume and you have 58 choices, how do you narrow that down?
1: Right. That, it's right. impossible.
0: And I think it's the same same way with, with even with my my own bookshelf. So I don't know if you have this problem, but as a writer, I get tons of books that I yes. did not ask to get. Yeah. And, and so all of those books have to go somewhere, right? And right. I read a good number of those. So if you're an author out there that's written a book and I receive your book and it's well done and i like it i'll probably read it i i do that a lot i read a lot of books that i receive that are unsolicited um but they have to go somewhere you know and i have limited bookshelf space also um but then also when you think about the fact that i'm getting you know two or three books a month maybe um sometimes more sometimes yeah. less um and there's a finite amount of like actually Important, good, life-changing stuff out in the world. How do you sort out like what's worth reading and what needs to just go on the shelf and or go to Goodwill or yeah. be given to a friend who might really enjoy the book? Right. Um, it's it's it can be really complex.
1: It really can, and I mean, this sounds again like a first word problem because it is, um, but. This is just the reality of our world now. We have so many options. Um, You know, you open up Spotify. You could listen to almost literally anything. You can open up a streaming service and you almost feel s- not surprised, but put out if this thing that you had in mind isn't available to stream. You're like, what? Yeah. I can't, you know, watch whatever at the click of a button. Whereas, you know, in our childhood, and I know I'm starting to sound like old man yells at cloud meme, but... um, we had to wait for something, you know. Um, yeah. It was it was like a new day when you could go to the video store and rent a movie instead of just like that once a year when Wizard of Oz was on TV. So this is just a new phenomenon, and it's no wonder that it overwhelms us because I don't really think we're we can handle this many options. If you think of even just going to the store to buy toothpaste, you know, it's easy to just freeze at what. What's the best option for me? Yeah. And so add that to just your evening form of relaxation. And yeah, gosh, might as well just go to sleep. That's how I feel sometimes. Like, never mind, I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and I think I think this is an important conversation because, like, for instance, I'm looking at my desk right now. Okay, right now on my desk at my office. This is at my yeah. office, not even at home. Uh huh. I have the Changing World Order by Ray Dalio. Yeah. I have Newport's Digital Minim- Minimalism, Effortless. Meditations, Marcus Aurelius, uh, The Hero and the Outlaw, which is like this sort of branding book that I really love and use and refer to regularly. Hmm. Think Again by Adam Grant and East of Eden by John Steinbeck and then shameless plug, I have my own book on my desk, Coming Clean, A Story of Faith. But I just keep that there because I give it away from time to time. So I just listed seven books and all of those seven books are really important. Yeah. Are, I, I would say you know, life-changing is like a drastic word, but like really important to my life and the things that I do and the things I want to be about and the things that I actually am about. And all of those books to read thoroughly take a lot of time. I mean, that's... If you're a busy human being with a job, that's, you know, a year's worth of reading right there. Mm-hmm. To actually like read it and ingest it and take notes on it and understand it and apply it. Um, So, so there's seven books right there. And then... If you're buying additional books on top of that, if you already have additional books that you haven't read in your bookshelf, like how in the world do you sort of sift down uh, into what's the most important, distill it to what are the most important books to yeah. read those books? Same with movies and whatever. I just think books are the easiest example of this. So yeah. my question for you is like, I know you have a lot of books because I know you. So yeah. how do you, how do you get from, You know, I already have, you know, these 300 books, some of which I haven't read. I need to read the most important of those books. I need to get rid of some of those books. And also there are going to be books that come out this year that I want to read. So how do you like navigate what to read, what to shelf for later, what to get Mm -hmm. rid of? Like what is your thought process and your decision tree for that?
1: Well, it's funny you even say that. While you were talking, I just did a quick glance at my nightstand because my, you know, where I record a podcast is on the other end of my bedroom. I have seven books on my nightstand as well, and those comprise my I want to read next uh, stack. So those are not even books I have fully read yet, and that's not all the books I want to read right now. So that's just like my immediate grab stack. Um, so I am exactly in the same place. That's why I was going through yeah. my shelves this morning because I, I just could not fathom where the rest of these books are going to go. And um, where I have come to is simply the space where um, I have to admit that something's got to go. And that's really hard when it comes to something like a book, when you are somewhat of a bibliophile, and you just love reading, you almost feel like you're saying something about either the book or the act of reading itself when you get rid of a book. <laughs> like, or the um, author. Or the author – ooh, that's especially true whenever I'm in your boat as well where I, we get a lot of – I get a lot of books unsolicited, which I am grateful for and I appreciate and I realize is quite the amazing problem to have yet. However, there's only so much one can have. And yeah, when you feel like you pass on the book, you're saying no thank you to you being a writer. And that's absolutely yeah. not true. Yeah, that's um, right. So I subscribed to Joel Miller's Substack, who, and I'll link to this in the show notes. He has a really great uh, new Substack for 22 out where he is just reviewing a book a week that he reads. And he is sharing why. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, great Substack. It's straight to the point. It's a quick book review. I like his reading. Um uh, I like what he reads. So to me, it's a good Substack. Um, he just wrote a quick little post about uh, his criteria for calling a library. And so this is what got me to doing my own. And then it got me to just thinking about what it is that I um, what are my criteria. So I'll give you a few of his and then I'm going to kind of zoom back out to talk about maybe more like how to decide what to consume in general when it comes to books and other forms of media. He says, am I finished with the book is the first question to ask, which I think is legitimately a good question to ask, because um, if I'm if I've finished the book and I don't think I'm going to read it again, then that's actually not a bad reason to pass it on to s- someone mm-hmm. else. You know, Um, do I <laughs> his second question is, do I need this book, which is also very yeah. straightforward? You know, if it's a book you think you're going to reference, then, yeah, keep it, even if you've read it. But if you think, you know, once you're done, you're just done, that's OK. Um yeah. Can I easily get another copy, you know, meaning like this isn't a first edition of some, you know, amazing book that you or, you know, a book that is out of print and was your grandmother's or something like that. Is this just kind of a there everywhere sort of book? Um, Do I love this book? That's a legitimately good question to ask. Um, I like number five a lot. He says, does this book represent an important shift in my thinking? Mm, and that's, that's what I, that's what I was reflecting on this morning when I was going through my books. Cause there are some books on my shelf now that, I mean, this sounds draconian and I don't mean it, but if my, one of my kids were to like go through the library and pick up a particular book, I would almost feel a little like, Oh, don't read that. And mm. not because it's like bad or wrong or immoral or, you know, whatever. It's just, I don't agree with it anymore in some form. Like I have learned, I've grown. And so for me, that's what I was calling this morning. These books that, you know, ha- served their purpose in helping shape my thinking, but no longer do I consider them important enough to um, deserve space on a shelf.
0: So without telling me the title or the author, what's an example of that kind of book?
1: For um you? Yeah. Okay. A lot of these books and, you know, we've talked about this and I'm just going to say it. A lot of it was Christian living slash Christian women's writing, mm-hmm. nonfiction, simply because, um, they were either given to me or I got them at a time before my Catholic conversion or in a space when I was really questioning a lot of my foundational ideas. And now they're just either books I flat out disagree with, or there's another book that says it better, or um, it just maybe doesn't need to be a book. I think that about a lot of Christian Books that are out and, you know, it's just the industry that it is. Sometimes I read this and I think this could be a long blog post or this yeah, could be, yeah. um, some other, you know, a short video or podcast series. And then that's it. We, we hand out book deals like they're candy now. And so, um, there's just a lot of those I got rid of because I want to make space for other types of books. So, um, that, that was probably my key. And he, he has a few other, um, criteria on his list, and I'll just link to it for other people that want to look through the rest of it. But I thought that was probably the best question. Um, Other than the one he says, the last one is, am I tired of thinking about this? But basically, Mm. if am I just done with this topic? Um, And I don't really have any more, I don't have space in my brain, because I want to give space to something else. I think there's something really, there's wisdom there, because uh, we can just I don't know, have information overwhelm even by looking at our own books. And yeah. uh, that that helps with that. So I don't know. I thought that was a good list. Did anything resonate with you there?
0: I mean, I think Am I Done With This Topic is a great one. I, yeah. I, you know, I go through, you know, the problem that we have now. We have a, a smallish house also. I say smallish. I mean, it's, it's, it's great size for our family. Um, and we have a wall of bookshelves, and I go through those books all the time. And I'm like, Hey, can I get rid of this? Can I not get rid of this? The problem, the problem that I have, twofold. One, a lot of it is it does feel personal. Like whenever I, I, I look at a book by somebody that I really love, genuinely, and but you know may not need the book or may not the book may not resonate with me, and I need to get rid of it. I feel like I'm saying something terrible about the person. Yeah. Um, so books do kind of have personalities. And so there is a piece of that where it's like, I don't want to hurt a book's feelings. Is that weird? Yeah. No, it's not so weird. So whatever. Um, but the second thing is uh, that when you said, am I done with this? I mean, that, that really resonates with me because the thing that's helped me overcome that hurdle. Uh, oh geez, I really like this author or I know this author or uh, maybe this book has been handed down for, from my family. Mm-hmm. It's like, am I done with it? Am I ever going to read it again? Right. Um, and and it's not even, am I ever going to read it again? It's, do I think that I might want to ever read it again? Yep. Uh, because the, the am and the do I think I ever am going to or would want to are two different questions. I mean, you have yeah. a finite amount of time. Um, yeah. But, you know, I'm glad when making this decision previously, and I ran across 100 Years of Solitude, which I had never read. Um, I'm glad I didn't give give it away. I'm right. glad I didn't just say, well, I could pick it up easily again. And you know, I may not ever read it again. And so I'm going to uh, uh, get rid of it. I'm going to take it down to the, to the used bookstore or whatever. Um, because I picked it up this year mm-hmm. and I love it. Yeah, I love it uh, to the extent that I want to find a hardback copy of it. That's right. really great. And I want to yeah. buy it and well, keep and, it forever.
1: Yeah. And that actually gets to one of my points that I'll get to in a few minutes about how to decide what to consume. Um, Which is to say, has it stood the test of time? You know, I think the reason you maybe kept 100 years is because it's a book you've heard of and will not forget it exists. And so, you know, by keeping it on the shelf, you're kind of reminding yourself you do want to be someone who has read that book.
0: And I think that's the biggest thing for me. Uh, Recently, there's this, I, I shared this video with some of my Substack subscribers, um, and it was um, uh, there was a a a woman who was talking. a Professor who was talking about the power of of reading, and um, she says, you know, there's this this idea that you should read uh, particular books, right? Like, if you love literature, you should read A Hundred Years of Solitude, or if you love finance, you should read, you know, mm-hmm. Ben Graham's The Intelligent Investor, or whatever. Um, and she's like, no, I don't, I don't actually think that's true. What I actually think is true is that you should read broadly and read mm. read a lot. And and implicit in that, read broadly, is that you read things that do stand the test of time. You read things that have been around for a long time and people look at and say, oh, yeah, that's the best book on that topic or that's the best work of fiction from that era or that's the best work of fiction uh, from that country, or you know whatever the thing is, you know I I will, uh, it'll be a cold day before I get in the Hades before I get rid of Chinua Achebe's things fall apart. Oh yeah, um, and and not because it's some like dramatically life altering book, but it's it's the best book of a region of an era. It's yeah. the best exemplar, and it's a wonderful book. So yeah, there are things like that when you know when I go through my um. My my shelf and I say, okay, well, here's a book on a discrete topic written by a person that was really good in my thinking at that time period in my life, hasn't stood the test of time, probably not going to pick it up again, sort of don't need it ever again, then that's a pretty prime candidate for me for a call.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, no, it's good. You know, it reminds me a little bit. I was talking with some of my students yesterday about this idea of um, – it's not related to chastity, but we were talking about chastity and we were reading about this one guy who basically – um this Catholic monk who says, uh, if you – were to come home from a date and tell your mom everything that happened and not feel embarrassed, then you're good. (laughs) And I thought that was kind of a good straightforward way to say it. Like, would you feel okay (laughs) telling your mom about what happened? Um, Would you feel okay with your kids looking at your bookshelves or your friend that came over or your, you know, would you feel good about someone who doesn't know you very well looking at your bookshelves? And if so, not saying that you're the books are there to impress. But are they representative of what matters most to you? And yeah. Yeah. so if you think that they are, then it should stay there and not feel any shame about, you know, having crammed full bookshelves because I get it, man. I love I love holding on to books and am reticent to let go of them. But if, you know, you look at this book and you think, gosh, I would have to explain why that author is on my shelf. It was given to me or it was from a certain time or whatever. And and it just feels like that was a different era of my life and that's no longer me then perhaps that's a sign that it's time to move on to someone else who wants to read that so
0: yeah and if you do truly take on the challenge of reading broadly consuming art music movies reading whatever the thing is broadly um then when you get the other stuff, the other fluff, or when you see it, or whatever, um, you know, and and it it's foiled against all the important stuff mm-hmm. that you ought to be reading, um, it makes the decision a lot easier to say, you know, what I'm going to get rid of that, and I'm going to pick up this thing that I've never read that's that's really really good, um, yeah, yeah, you know, and I've got right now, like for instance, right now, I'm I'll, I'll I, I'm I know for a fact I'm getting two books in the mail. Um, in the next week. And and I'm sure they'll be great. But I still haven't read Doors' last novel and I still haven't read David Mitchell's last novel. And I know that those are things that I'm going to read. Right. I love them. I want to read them. I'm going to read them. And so when these other two books get in the mail, if I flip through two or three pages and I find it interesting, I'm going to immediately be reminded, yeah, but I'm reading this in lieu of like two really phenomenal writers who are producing... <laughs> Amazing stuff, right? Like right now, in our lifetime, right? right. Um, and so, I think what what what's really I don't know uh, guided me lately is what am I reading? Um, what am I not reading? Because I am reading this, yeah. And if I feel bad about that, then I put down the thing I'm reading, right? Like, yeah. Of the books that I've read this month, again, I think I've read five books this month. Uh, there's nothing that I'm looking at and saying. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have read that.
1: Right, right. That's
0: a pretty good feeling. There's actually there is actually one book where I'm like, eh, but there was a very particular reason I read it. Sure. Um, and I knew I was going to read it for that reason and needed to read it for that reason, and so I did. But yeah. But otherwise, like I look at that list and I'm like, yeah, those were important books. I should have read those books.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, just like what we were saying earlier, that you can't defy the laws of physics with infinite bookshelves or infinite books on finite shelves. um, I think the same goes with our attention. You know, yeah, it's easy to say, you know, our brain can consume, you know, a near infinite, infinitesimal amount of knowledge, but we only have 24 hours in the day and even less than that of time to read. So or just consume, you know, watch a movie, do whatever. And so um, we really are quite limited and I don't know, to me, it just has that that feeling of life is too short to, to enjoy or consume crappy art. Um, yeah. It's just a matter of knowing what, what passes that test, what is crap and what is good, really and truly. So um, maybe that's what we can sort of unpack, because I think everyone listening wants to read good books, wants to watch good stuff, wants to listen to good music. It's just a matter of like, how do you decide what's good? Um, and what, I don't know, maybe the transcendental idea of true, good and beautiful is objective, but that doesn't necessarily mean, um, something good is, is easily consumable in light of there being so many good things or so many beautiful things. And there being just different seasons for different types of art. Mm -hmm. Um, so how do you pick amongst all the good things? So I don't know, do you have any thoughts about, about like, how do you pick between two good books or, um, you know, a show that when you're you're told here are 58 good things to watch, what's your criteria of deciding?
0: Well, I think the first question that you have to stop and ask yourself is, uh, are you doing something, consuming something, um, that's candy instead of steak? Are you spending, are you wasting your time that you could be doing, watching, reading, consuming, whatever, something that's really important and very good, Are you frittering that time away doing something stupid? Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, maybe last week, uh, since I've been off social media, I have realized how much time I have to read. It's amazing. It's incredible. That's cool. Um, Just frittering away five minutes here, 10 minutes there, 20 minutes there, like you can can read so much amazing, life-changing, life-altering stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and what you're doing is you're substituting, s- you know, what what's really trashy and silly for something that's important and good, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think it's the same way when I look at, you know, if I'm going to sit down and watch something, am I watching something that brings me more joy or more beauty or more uh, goodness? Or am I just watching something that's fluff and crap? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying there aren't times for that, yeah. right? Like, I'm not saying there aren't times you sit down and you read a true beach read, you know, like grab a beach read novel when you're at the beach. That's what mm-hmm. it's for. Yeah. Um. But for the most part, if that's your diet or if for the most part, here's another example. If for the most part, you're picking up the latest Christian living nonfiction in order to fix your life. Right. And yet your life never seems fixed. But you have these grand masters that we like to call the Saints, uh, you know, the prophetic masters too, like the the Chestertons of the world and the Lewises and um, you know, the prophetic novelists like the Waz or the Tolkien's or whatever. And you're not reading any of them, yeah. but you're constantly consuming this other thing that you think can fix you, though it's not. Um then you're substituting something that's truly time tested uh that embodies the transcendentals that has the power to change your life because language has the power to change your life mm-hmm. for something that's that's really just you know uh, to use the the publishing industry's phrase hitting the felt need of the moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and to take your analogy of food, it's like every now and then a Twinkie is fine, you know, if you're on vacation, but if you have a diet of that, you're not going to be healthy. So yeah, that's right. yeah, these these books or these stories that have stood the test of time are the vegetables, are the steak. Um, And so for me, that w- that's my first criteria is, has it stood the test of time? Not because old always equals good and new always equals bad. It's not that. But there is something to be said about the fact that if something is still being published, or talked about or remembered, you know, at minimum 20 years, but really and truly 50 and on, uh, then that says something. Now, there's some there's some old stuff that's not very good, for sure. Um, And there's some new stuff that's come out, you know, you just named a few currently living, you know, prolific writers, and we love them. So it's not It's not a pure, like, draw a line in the sand of a timeline. But, you know, it also couldn't hurt. At the end of last year, I asked on Twitter for ideas of um, movies made before I was born. So I was born in 1977, and I loved the idea of perhaps just consuming more old movies because I I haven't seen a lot of movies before 1977. I've seen a lot, just not as many as I would like. And I got some great ideas. So now I've got this list of movies I want to seek out. Um, that are older. And I don't know, I, I love the idea of embarking on this idea of um, what's timeless, you know, what, what says something that is still true today, because it is a timeless truth.
0: Yeah. 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 And there are, I mean, to be really clear, like, I think there are things we know are going to be timeless, that mm-hmm. are written by people that, you know, come out now. Um, yeah. You know, what, for me, one of those authors is a guy named Jesse Ball, he doesn't really set Ton. I mean, he, he releases a good number of books. He doesn't get a lot of critical acclaim, but he's a writer. Um, he's written for the Paris Review. He's a mm-hmm. poet. He's got a really interesting backstory and everything hmm. he writes touches on the timeless theme. It's inc- insanely artful. Hmm. Um, and I just know that his books are going to be around in 20 years. Uh, Louise Erdrich, she's going to be around in 20 years. Sure. Uh, You know, Hillary Mantel, some people will be like, you know, maybe that's a little whatever, uh, you know, commercial or whatever, but she's going to be around in 20 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Anthony Doerr is going to be around in 20 years. So it it doesn't mean that older is necessarily better. The question is like, who is writing stuff that is going to stand the test of time? And sometimes Mm -hmm. we miss on that. And that's okay to miss on that. Yeah, Um, yeah. You know, I think that there are books uh, that have been written by some of our favorite spiritual writers and you look at them and you're like, you know what? They didn't sell really well coming out of the gate, but it's going to stand the test of time. Right. Like there are books uh, in, to to uh, play a little inside baseball here, there are books in um, the Christian living space that are picked up and run and they know they're not going to, you know, come out hot and sell and hit, you know, bestseller list. But they also know that it's going to be evergreen content that's going to be back catalog fodder forever and is going to sell and sell and sell. And it may sell a 1,000 copies a year, um, but it's going to keep selling that same 1,000 copies a year. Right. And that's the kind of stuff that's, like, worth investing in. It's worth reading. It's worth paying attention to. Um, yeah. And it does something different for you than, like, you remember the the series that came out, the the fiction series that came out not too long ago? So you know there were, I think there were a few books of them, but it was like Pride and Prejudice with vampires
1: and zombies. Yeah, right.
0: Oh, zombies! Maybe it was zombies. I don't remember, but there were some with like vampires and some with zombies. Yep. And they kept like recasting and read like it would be another book with vampires or zombies. <laughs> uh huh. That was a fad.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. not
0: timeless. It's not going to stand the test of time. Yeah, uh, they'll make it into a Netflix series or something at some point, and I am sure. I think people they will have actually. It. See there you go. Um <laughs> yeah. but that's that's not it's fun mm-hmm. and that's awesome, but it's it, it's it's not the kind of work that's gonna stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. and, and and there there is work that comes out regularly that will.
1: Well, and it if you feel this like sense of panic or urgency to read or watch something because you don't want to be m- left out of the conversation on social media or, you know, whatever it is at the water cooler. Um, maybe that's a sign that it's not so much like avoid it, but perhaps it yeah. means like it's, you know, I just check your, I don't even want to say check your motives, but consider maybe why it is. Why do you feel the need to, is it something you would read anyway? Or are you just reading it? Cause you want to know what everyone's talking about. I, I know of someone who, uh, Checks the New York Times bestseller list in order to know what to avoid. Like she purposely doesn't read anything on there because she I love knows. This human. I do too. She knows what that list really is, which is, you know, you pay to be on the list and, um, or publishers pay. So it's not a real um, bellwether of what is good at all. And in fact, it's kind of a sign of maybe what publishers are just trying to push because they know if they can just sell a hundred thousand copies in one week, then they'll yeah. get their they'll get their money because they know it's not gonna last for very long. Yeah. I know there are exceptions. Don't write me about Harry Potter and all those. I know. Um but by and large, best sellers are flashes in the pan. So
0: yeah, I mean, I think that's true. But I, again, I think b- basing your criteria off of any list, basing your criteria off of, you know, whether it's the be- bestseller list or, or or 58 things to stream mm-hmm. or the 10 best poems you should be reading right now, whatever right. the thing is. I mean, ba- basing your I'm going to or I'm not going to consume on those lists, I, I think is 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 a pretty shorthanded way to go about things. I think instead... Stopping, examining, and thinking, what are the things that I need to be reading right now? What's important right now? Where Mm -hmm. are we in uh, our cultural space and what addresses that cultural space? Uh, Yeah. And I think if if we stop and think about those things critically, we can really end up narrowing our bookshelves, Mm -hmm. getting rid of a whole lot of trash Uh, narrowing our two watch lists, um, getting rid of a whole lot of stuff that we don't need to be watching because it's it's not timeless. It doesn't matter. It doesn't hit on on all of the the sort of human existentials that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, the existential moment of humanity. Um, I think, man, if if we could just approach things that way, it would probably free us up a lot. I, I don't care a lick about that little dragon show that came out not too long ago.
1: Dragon show? You know, I don't even you know, know. the
0: dragon show. The show with the people and the thrones and the dragons.
1: Oh, yeah. I never. I have not seen one episode of that. <laughs> I don't know I anything mean, about it.
0: <laughs> but think about how much, at the moment, in the moment, think about how much conversation
1: yeah. you
0: were looped out of because you didn't watch Game of Thrones. I mean, there was totally so true. much cultural conversation around it. Um, and I just didn't care about it. I'm not a huge fantasy fan. I didn't mm. want to watch it. Uh, and, and yet... Society told me it was important. It ended poorly. No one really cares about it anymore. Yeah. And so now I'm thinking, huh, that was a good decision to not watch that and instead do something yeah. else with my time. And, and we're I both think totally fine. What, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's totally fine. I think that's what the question you'd be asking. Is this a modern Game of Thrones? Because if it is, <laughs> let's just skip it. I like Unless it. we really like it and then let's watch it.
1: Well, and but, then just consider the source ultimately. Like, you know, if you are an avid fan of, of somebody who, who has good taste in books and they write a, you know, here are five books that are really good, then yeah, consider that bookmark market. make, you know, put it in your back pocket, learn from others, but ultimately consider the source. And so if it's like your, you know, your coworker down the hall, who seems to have crappy taste and all sorts of other things is the one recommending the show like Game of Thrones. And you don't have the same taste at all, like you're not a fantasy person, then don't, <laughs> don't waste your time with something like that, and and don't sweat the FOMO, really and truly.
0: And don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. Yeah, about culling books from your library. Don't feel bad about cutting things off of your to watch list. Yeah, do the things that really f- fill you with a sense of of beauty and joy and truth and goodness.
1: Well, and so that kind of leaves me with two other things that help me make decisions, and I can. I can talk about them quicker because they sort of dovetail well with each other. They're sort of the same idea. Um, One of them, and I know you agree with this too, is that it tells a good story. It doesn't moralize. Um, Meaning the moralization uh, of stories, you know, it's not so much that I want (laughs) stories that are immoral or stories that don't say something that I could apply to my life. I don't want that to be the purpose of the story, or I don't want it to be so heavy handed, heavy handed, that I feel like the director or the author is treating me like a child, because it needs to teach me something. And I, I heard something this morning that I thought was really astute, I had not made this connection. Um, but this person, this journalist was saying, you know, we, we know well, the Christian media, Industry, Right. And how Christian movies tend to be really bad because of this. Right. They they are way too heavy handed with their their themes of of, you know, trying to make everything about faith or about life choices or whatever it is to the detriment yeah. of a of a good story told. Yeah. Well, she was saying she was connecting the dot. This is what's happening in a lot of um liberal media now, or woke media, or however you want to say it, it's, it's moralizing as well. But it ultimately isn't very good. And so if you've got these movies that are just trying to check the boxes of, of representation, but are at the expense of a good story, or at the expense of, um, yeah, just great storytelling, then almost make make the same as- assumption you would about Christian media in that it's not actually very good storytelling because they're just trying to push the message more yeah. than tell a story. And I thought that was a really good connection. Um, so consider maybe what um, makes something popular or what gives it the good reviews it does. Is it just yeah. trying to um, speak into the, the, zeitgeist of what they say is important to talk about right now. Yeah. 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 I thought that was a good yeah, connection there. I,
0: I, I, I equally dislike sermonization and moralization of content, regardless of the perspective left or right. I mean, give me something that's true. That's, that's human. Um, that's complicated and complex, give me something that I even disagree with and if it's true and human and complicated and complex and makes me think and it deals with human condition I promise you I'll give it a fair shake I'll probably like it um, yeah it's it, you're right the the moralization and the sermonizing on on really both sides is it mm-hmm.
1: doesn't make for good art it really doesn't. It doesn't. And so you, you hinted just now at the third thing for me is that um, it leaves me thinking it and not feeling gross. And yeah. so um, when I say feeling gross, I do mean, um, yeah, it doesn't scar me, meaning with sex and violence, but it also doesn't leave me feeling gross with the cheese. And mm. it doesn't leave me gross with the depressing for the sake of just being depressing, as though you're yeah. trying to say something about how bleak life is just with no end game to that and so um i thought this was especially true i mean it's almost easier to to put a category or put a a genre like game of thrones in this because i know one of the reasons i didn't watch it was because i know images stay in my head for like decades Mm -hmm. and i've heard how violent it is and how you know naked it is so i knew it's like yeah that's not for me but um i would say in this category goes uh like family friendly inspirational stuff that's basically trash you know like stuff that's just stupid and it falls in that category of moralizing there's a really great essay by um joshua gibbs that i've i've referenced several times on the show where he wrote this piece about um how he, I don't remember how old his kids are, but he basically says that he would rather watch a well um, censored rated R movie with his kids over a PG movie because at least it tells a story. Yeah. And um, I thought it was a really good piece, uh, you know, basically talking about how children's entertainment has gone just the way of marketing, and, yeah. um, both of product placement and of messages of, totally. of the yeah. things that our culture says is important. And so, um, this is just my plug. I mean, I never in a million years would have thought I would like a product like vidangel because I, I have issues with, with, you know, acting like we can't see certain things that maybe are part of the story. But the other day I used, we used vidangel so that we could watch braveheart with my 11 year old, mm. you know, and, and so we cut out a lot of the sex and violence. It made it nice and short <laughs> or at least yeah. not three yeah. hours. Um, And it was a fantastic story. And he talked about it for days and loved it so much. And to me, that was so much, you know, uh, that was time so much better spent than watching something we could have found on a kid's channel. But it was just dumb. And and it almost was insulting to him because, you know, it dumbed it down as though because he's 11, he can't handle a good, complicated story.
0: Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. Good, good, good criteria. Good criteria. So to recap... Tell me, tell me the three things.
1: Okay. It stood the test of time. Uh, it tells a good story, as in it doesn't moralize, and it leaves me thinking and not feeling gross. So, so
0: good. So yeah. good. Love
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Will, with that in mind, Seth, what's something that is adding more beauty, goodness, or truth to your life these days?
0: I, I'm, this is going to be a really interesting uh, pick, Okay, Tish. So, and, and first, I need to be very clear. I do not own... One of these, oh, do not own this thing, okay. But I, um, yeah, I had to get some new, some new, kitchen knives. This (laughs) is a thing that I like. Listen, I love to cook. Uh, It's one of my favorite things to do. Amber hates it. It's one of her least favorite things to do. And so as a result, we have this working deal, um, where I do most of the cooking and she does. Really, a lot of the outside work. We kind of flip roles in that way. Um, I love it. Maybe if if we had it was the old days and we still worked on our cars, maybe she would drain the oil. I don't know, but yeah, I do most of the cooking, and I had to get some new knives. And as I did, I ran across um, this American knife maker, um, and <laughs> they have uh, they they make these knives. It's just called New West Knife Works. I know literally nothing about these people other than when I clicked on the website because I was researching knives and looked at their knives, I was blown away how beautiful they were. Um, And this is really ridiculous. I understand this. And it's super ridiculous because I don't own one. And so to say it's bringing more beauty to my life is just kind of crazy. But it, it really has led me down the rabbit hole of what it takes to make a beautiful knife. And the hmm. way you go about crafting a beautiful knife and the time mm-hmm. and the effort and the work that goes into yeah. design and handle artisanry and grinding a blade and creating a thing that is real and in the world and tangible that comes from materials from the earth that is very, very beautiful and very, very functional and consequently somewhat expensive Um But as I have just spent time thinking about, you know, how to leave something behind that is material and beautiful and consequential, um, it's been a real inspiration. And I know that sounds really cheesy, but y'all go check out New West Knife Works. Again, these people are in no way paying me to say this. (laughs) I just really think it's amazing That uh, (laughs) some person decided to take all of these rare earth materials and turn them into something that's like truly a work of art and also functional if you happen to be uh, a chef or a cook or whatever. Um, I love it. So, yeah. So, that's the thing that's adding more beauty to my life right now. It's kind of an outside-of-the-box sort of pick, but that's my pick for this week.
1: It's a good one. I love it. Yeah. I'm going to look at it. So, tell
0: me, Tish, what is one thing that's been bringing uh beauty to your life
1: well um i am still reading the lincoln highway by Amor tolls uh last week last episode i was just a few chapters in i'm now a couple hundred pages in i absolutely love it it has kept me up at night it's almost 600 pages long so it'll probably i probably have another week of reading wow yeah um so but it's such good storytelling it really is so good um So that's my fiction for now, but I have picked up a book. It's kind of funny what we talked about because this one sounds – it doesn't sound like it would fit the bill of all the things we talked about. What's Mm. beautiful about it is that there are exceptions to everything we talked about. Um, It is Christy Purifoy's new book, which is called Garden Maker. She's an amazing writer. She's such a good writer, and she's such a good photographer. Um, Mm. And so it is full of her photos – Ugh, gosh, It's just such a beautiful book and it is about one of my favorite topics, which is gardening. I don't know much about flowers. I know your wife Amber is into flowers and mm-hmm. I want to be someone who grows flowers. I just, I mostly do food. Um, mm-hmm. and so this is a beautiful example of, um, a poetically written, poetically designed book that's also handy. Like this mm-hmm. is a book I'm going to bookmark for the spring. Uh, season of planting in in a couple months for me um, but it's also just really pretty it looks. I don't know. It, it, and I say that not in a shallow way. It's a book that I will happily keep on my bookshelves yeah. because it, it, it checks all the boxes and it passes muster. So Christy's new book is fantastic. I would like to even have her on sometime to talk about mm-hmm. um, gardening and what she's learned from it. I she, I think this is maybe her third book or so, and I've liked every mm-hmm. single one that she's written. So she is yeah. she's a solid writer who's going to stick around. Um, so yeah, yeah, garden maker for me.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that goes to your point. I mean, there are some... Uh, writers in genres that we typically wouldn't read that are yeah. still doing work that, if given a shot, will stand the test of time. That's right. Christy's one of those writers. 100%. That's right.
1: Yep. Yep. And so, uh, as we wrap things up, I need to mention something that I hinted that I would mention in our last episode regarding our trip to Italy. So, if you remember. Seth and I, along with his wife, Amber, are uh, leading a trip to Italy next summer in the Tuscany region. We are very, very excited about it. This trip is really coming along. We have a number of you already signed up to go. Um, the company we are joining forces with, Select International, has this really cool deal. So between February 1st and February 18th, 2022. So basically when this episode is out already and then just for the next few weeks, they are ha- running a deal of $350 off per person. So that's a huge deal. I mean, this trip is already, I think, relatively affordable for what we're going to do. Like I look at our, um, itinerary and I look at where we're going and the food we're going to eat and the things we're going to see. And then I look at the price and I think, Oh, that it feels like it should cost more. And I'm not just saying that in a weird, um, uh, Home Shopping Network way. (laughs) I'm saying that. And as someone who knows the cost of things for travel and leads trips, this is a very affordable trip. But $350 off per person is, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of how to say this to where it doesn't sound like I'm selling OxyClean. (laughs) A steal. It's a steal. I feel like I should be yelling. Anyway, I will put the link in the show notes for this particular deal that lasts just a few weeks by the time you're listening to this. Once that deal is over, you can still sign up for the trip. Just not $350 $350 off. So if you're planning to go with your spouse, that's $700 off for the two of you. That's pretty darn good. So if you are hesitating about joining us in Italy, now is the time to sign up. If you already know you want to go, you're just waiting for the right time. So use that link. Um, okay. With that in mind, it is time to wrap this up. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at a adrinkwithafriend.com. If you like the show and what we're doing, as always, you can help keep it going by picking up the next round of drinks. This show is free for you to listen to, but not free for us to make. So you can play a big part with just a few cents. Find the link to do this in the show notes of this episode and at adrinkwithafriend.com. You can find me and how to connect with me, especially via my newsletter at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, where can people find you?
0: They can find me at uh, SethHaines.com or at SethHaines.Substack.com.
1: All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenreiter. I'm Tish Oxenreiter with Seth Haynes, and we'll be back here with you soon. Thanks for listening.